Welcome to Coffee Talk, dear listeners. This is, of course, a offshoot of Crescent City Crime, and I'm Tracy. I'm Brian. We hope that you're all doing well this week. Of course, thank you for listening to us. It's very exciting to see that we have some more subscribers. Yes, thank you very much. We enjoy doing this, and we enjoy having you with us. And, of course, we always would love it if you would tell a friend about us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, especially your enemies. you got to aggressively yell it at your enemies, like in a threatening way. Listen to Crescent City Crime while you shake your fist at them. Yes, listen to Crescent City Crime. So, earlier this month, because we were in the month of April, earlier this month, a New Orleans icon passed away. Her name, or her stage name was Chris Owens, and... I'm going to tell you a little her little life story. On October 5th, 1932, Christine Joetta Shaw was born in rural Texas. Her parents were Fred Moore Shaw Sr. and Thelma Leona Martin. The family lived on a farm, and Chris thought that she would like to pursue a career in nursing until things took a hard left turn when, at the age of 20, she headed for New Orleans. Like uh, many people do, actually, and um, make a name for themselves, and then we we claim them and totally forget what state they came from. That's quite true. Pretty much. In fact, I didn't know she was from Texas until you told me just now. (laughs) Well, I didn't know either until I looked it up. So there is that. Because I assumed she was born and raised here, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So... In 1956, Christine married a New Orleans car dealer named Saul Owens. Saul enjoyed dancing, and even though Chris had not had any formal training, she was able to learn dance routines and became good enough to be regularly invited on stage at the dance clubs in New Orleans that she and Saul would attend. And Chris said that we had big crowds, and more and more they would pack around the dance floor to watch us dance. That means you're really good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, how, how come we don't go dancing at clubs like that, Brian? Because <laughs> <laughs> we both have two left feet. But that is when the couple realized that there was something bigger at play, and they opened Club 809 in the French Quarter where Chris Owens would perform. The club is still, the location is still there today. It's at the corner of Bourbon and St. Louis Streets. Chris and Saul intended the business venture to be low-key, but the performance review became extremely popular, and the club was regularly packed with spectators. Chris was an instant star. Yeah, that, that club has always been a, a, a classy part of Bourbon Street. Yeah. Whereas much of Bourbon Street is uh, doesn't really have any class. It's really touristy. That's very true. In the club, or the club got write-ups in the Saturday Evening Post, McCall's Magazine, Town and & Country, and, and even in uh, New York Gossip columnist Walter Winchell's column. Yeah, that, that's a big deal. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. In a 1974 interview, 
Chris said that each of my reviews emphasized that my act is the only legitimate act that did not include taking off my clothes. Something that's been all too common on Bourbon Street. Uh, strip tease. Um, what's supposed to be like the, the formal term for it? It's not go-go girls. That's something different. It, is it uh, exotic dancers? Exotic dancers, I, I think. My supposed to be the formal the formal term. Like an example of one of the places that still exists on Bourbon is called Big Daddy's. And Big Daddy's used to have the legs swinging through the window. It was just like a pair of legs going through the window. And and going back in repeatedly, in, in and out the window. And as a teenager, when I went with some of my friends to Bourbon Street when we were not supposed to, obviously we did not go into any of the bars or clubs. We were like 15, 16 years old. And none of us had a fake ID, so we couldn't go do that. But that was the first time I ever saw the Big Daddy swinging legs, and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world at the time. Yeah, pretty much when I was in high school, I saw it was one of those times. Usually when I came, when I was on, on the way home from Eleanor McMain Magnet School, uh, you know, as I did go to public school, and that was the school I attended, I usually caught my last bus from off of uh, Canal Street would be my last connection. There was... Uh, a couple of times in which I decided to just casually walk down Bourbon before catching my next bus. And that's when I first saw the legs going in and out the window, <laughs> among other among other interesting sights, and even overhearing a constitute a uh, conversation between a prostitute and someone. A customer? A, yeah, a customer, the what I heard, and I, of course, you know, being young and so young and naive, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Uh, all I heard was the guy said, I just want a blowjob. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. So I kept walking. He was, I kept walking. <laughs> you know, I was, I was a teenager. I was a little, just a little too scared there. So that was our teenage experiences on Bourbon Street. Not that we have a lot to tell, but that was our experiences. Chris had especially been inspired by Havana dance clubs because before the revolution, she spent some time in Cuba. I, and yeah, pre-revolution Cuba was a very fascinating uh, and wonderful place to visit. And I will say... I don't know how maligned this movie is, but the Dirty Dancing Havana Nights was actually not a bad movie. And that is when the movie took place, right before the revolution, and it did feature dance clubs, the Havana dance clubs. Yeah, that was a, a big part of uh, nightlife in Cuba prior to uh, Cuba falling into that dark hole, which is an Entirely different discussion, of course. It, it is an entirely different discussion. But that is where Chris, you know, gained a lot of her dance inspiration, which I think is awesome. Yeah, there's well, there's much to learn from uh, other cultures, definitely. And the club, the Chris Owens Club, became so successful that Saul and Chris sold their home in 1977 and purchased the building the building that the club is located in outright. And they managed the business until Saul's death in 1979. So he was not around very long 
for the club's inception, which is a shame. You know, he sounded like that they, or I'm sorry, he really encouraged her to pursue this, and um, you know, he just didn't get to see the end of it. And it was good that that he was able to help her to to buy it outright. Yes, because that's today to be able to afford that building. Ooh. It's at least a billion dollars, I believe. Billion with a B? Yeah. It, no, I, I'm no way. I'm sorry. I'm I'm. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, okay. It's at least a million dollars. Okay, so I, I meant to say it's at least a million dollars to buy that kind of property on Bourbon Street, uh, as much as one point five million dollars. It's it's incredibly valuable real estate. If you don't use it yourself, you can rent it in a heartbeat. Yes, and right now the future of the property is is up in the air. I don't have. I did not have any access to what whatever Chris's desires for that property are upon her death, but. We'll eventually learn what's going to become of it. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the club continues operating. I really hope so. It's a, it, it's an iconic place, and it's a it is a big it is a very big tourist draw. Yeah. Now the building though doesn't just have the club in it. There's also thirty apartments and four shops located in there, and Chris kept investing in herself and the neighborhood. She would have posters of herself dressed in elaborate costumes and makeup sprinkled throughout the French Quarter, which drew many tourists into the doors of the club. It would be around this time that she would meet Sammy Steele, who was a local estate investor, hairdresser, and makeup artist. He and Chris were companions, and together they created the, the Easter Parade. At first, the parade was a walking group of people dressed in their finest Easter outfits, handing out beads, flowers, Easter eggs, and candy to the small crowds on the streets. But, as these things tend to to go in New Orleans, as each year passed, the parade grew in size, popularity, and attendance. The parade also added the tradition of the famous, famous hat contest, which was open to all ages. And this was an opportunity for, if you wanted to make your own hat especially, you could enter them in the hat contest. I remember yet, that's one of the things, just one of the things Chris Owens was famous for was wearing a variety of hats. Yes. Like I have a fond memory of watching her on television participate in a, in a beignet eating contest at Cafe du Monde. Really? And she was wearing this rather large hat. Oh. And she was joking with reporters saying, I'm going to just stuff them in my hat. <laughs> That's that. How fun. That sounds like fun. Now, Chris also gave back through charities and local organizations. And she really loved people. She was very much a people person. And everything that I found about her said that she never had a bad word to say about anybody which is such a rare thing. It's a very rare thing to find a public figure who doesn't talk badly about others. 
and people generally never talk badly about her because she was a she was such a genuine person who she she had she seemed to never exhibit any hatred yeah and like the worst thing that anyone could say about her that was said and rumored throughout the years but was totally untrue there was not one shred of truth to this was people who made the ridiculous claim that she was actually a man. Oh yeah, I heard that too. That was ridiculous. No, she was she was very much a woman. So stuff it rumor mongers. We don't want to hear it anymore. It's done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shut it people who who hate New Orleans and <laughs> want to talk bad about New Orleans celebrities just because they're celebrated by New Orleanians and and people who travel here worldwide. Yes. Uh, in fact, I bet you could say this about Chris Owens, is that at least one person in, in, on every continent has a Chris Owens story. I'll bet, I'll bet that's true. Yeah, at least one. No, yeah. no, no less than that. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's touched so many lives uh, in her time. Yes. And... I encourage people to live their lives in such a way that people will have nothing but decent things to say about you. Yes, and in the end, the the measure of your character is tends to be in how many lives you've touched and how you've touched their lives. Right. Friends say that the only thing bigger than Chris's personality and brighter than her costumes was her kindness, and that's what we just touched upon. Friends noted that she never let the fame go to her head, saying that Chris never refused to take a picture with a fan and never refused to say kind things about other people. She was in show business, that was her life, and that's how she gave back. Yes, and whenever she spoke to people individually especially fans, they always came away feeling appreciated and valued. Yeah, she was very charismatic. And, and, and respected. She had that charisma gift, too. You know how some people just have more charisma than others? She had the charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chris Owens was known for keeping her age a secret. Uh, she said that a woman who will tell her age will tell anything. But it was revealed. <laughs> yeah, that that is funny. But it was revealed to the world that she was 89 years old at the time of her death on April 5th, 2022. Sammy Steele is going to or has outlived her, and he said one thing I want people to know about Chris Owens is that she was a very spiritual person. She deserves that recognition because, and she's earned it. She's never met a stranger. The words New Orleans Institution tends to be overused when discussing local entertainers, but for Chris Owens, it's one of those few people that the title exactly fits. Because she, I mean, when you think about what Bourbon Street was before she got her club over there, her club was one of the things that truly put Bourbon Street on the map in the modern era. Yes, it it introduced something to 
the world, as well as uh, people of New Orleans and New Orleans tourists, that was very, very unique. Yes. And she was, she was a French Quarter fixture for about 60 years, and that's exactly one-fifth of the city's history. Oh, that's an amazing run. An amazing. It is an amazing yeah. run. So she lived and worked in the most famous landmark on the most famous street in New Orleans' most famous neighborhood. I mean, you can't really get any more New Orleans institution than that. Yes. Yeah. Now, the, you know, of course, we did have the 2020 slash 2021 pandemic. So the Easter parade did not run for those two years. And unfortunately, Chris Owens was not able to ride in the 2022 parade, which did resume. Parade was held in her memory. And the tradition is expected to continue. And there are a couple of her performances on YouTube that I will link in the show notes. So if you want to, you can go see this for yourself. She she was very dynamic. Like every time she was on the news or something like that, or if there was a clip of her dancing or talking, I just had to watch her. Yeah, she literally commanded your attention, whether she was just talking to you or whether she was she was performing. Yes. You, you could not just simply walk casually walk by. You have you have to stop and watch. Yes, you did have to stop and watch. So, we're going to wrap up this Coffee Talk episode with heavy hearts. And, again, I'm going to invite you, my dear listeners, to live your life in such a way where you are remembered fondly. Yes, I heard an an interview on WWL Radio Mm -hmm. of one of her former dancers. Mm -hmm. And... Like many of the burlesque dancers who performed, you know, at her at her club, they they would oftentimes they would be offered more money by strip club owners mm-hmm. who would tell them things like, "Well, you could make a lot of money if you just simply took it all off." Right. But the the type of you know burlesque, especially under the tutelage of Chris Owens had a sense of fulfillment to it for these, for these ladies who were genuine entertainers. Well, there's all sorts of burlesque. Like there, I think was it gypsy Rose was, was that the, the very famous burlesque dancer who would only take off a glove? Is that the one? Oh, yes. I, yeah. be- I, I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all kinds of burlesque dancing, and, of course, there's plenty of places in New Orleans that do have that sort of entertainment. And, you know, not all of them are... Not all of them are... As iconic or as famous as as Chris Owens' club. Well, um, yeah, that that's true. But what I was trying to say is that they're... Because I kind of blanked out on what I was saying... However, what I was going to say is that there's a lot of dance venues in New Orleans and in the world, all over the world, really, but not all of them involve taking off clothes. Yes, it's it's actually more classy and more entertaining to leave leave the rest of the imagination. 
Yes. And that that's that's one of the things that uh, former employees of Chris Owens who danced at her club have, have said. Yeah. And, you know, also, you know, nobody, if you're an entertainer, nobody should ever have to do something they're not comfortable doing. That's right. Everyone should have the right to be who you are, exactly who you are, not how certain parts of society who are going to view you, chances are going to view you from a negative viewpoint anyway, uh, not the way other people think you should be. Right. Be yourself. And quite frankly speaking, uh, touching on the Constitution a little bit, the greatest expression of the first of the of the First Amendment is to simply be yourself. That's true. It's freedom of expression, but also, and I'm gonna touch on this part of it, just because you have freedom of speech does not mean that there may not be consequences from it amongst your friends and your peers and your family. Well, yes, every everyone does have opinions and <laughs> but not to go too far down this rabbit hole here, but we're we're gonna stop it's... right here with the rabbit hole. Because if we don't stop, we won't we won't stop. That's the problem. <laughs> rabbit holes upon rabbit holes upon rabbit holes. Well you just remember the First Amendment protects you from government action targeting at your freedom of speech. Government action, not private sector. Quite true. Now, we're going to wrap up this. Wow. Look at that. I stumbled over that one. We are going to wrap up today's episode. And next week, of course, we are going to return to our murder and mayhem as regularly scheduled. And we're going to discuss a vintage murder next week. Sounds intriguing. It's a murder from the 1920s. Ah. Yes. And I am sure that if you are listening to this, if you made it through the end of this episode, dear listeners, I am confident that you will be tuning in next week. So until then, be safe, be kind, and don't park next to vans. Remember, if it's dark, it's dangerous, and it doesn't feel safe, don't be there in the first place. And if you're ever questioned... By law enforcement, and it is and it is not as a witness or a victim of a crime. Lawyer up. <laughs>